Well, welcome, guys. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming in out of the beautiful weather and uh, making your way. I want to point out that there's some very good uh, decaf pumpkin spice coffee over there and some other regular if you need some lead in your coffee. And uh, then there's some good eats on the back table. And um, we've got a, uh, a, I think you could call it, at least where I grew up, you could call this story that we're doing tonight a humdinger, I believe, if you wanted to. You know, if you're doing rodeo speak or something like that. This is actually a nutty, just crazy story tonight. So um, thankfully, John's going to tackle it for us. And, um, and then it just gets crazier next week. So it'll be a good two-week time to hang out and be like, really, that's in the Bible. Um, so um, we've got some themes tonight um, that we're going to be talking about. Um, some of them are um, actually parallel themes to some of the original themes that we saw in Joshua, except they're kind of in reverse. So I guess inverse themes or not sure how to say that. But anyway, um, there's a song uh, tonight that we're going to do uh, as our call together. It's a Toad the West Rocket song called Throw It All Away. And I think one of the things that's interesting about this period in Israel's history is that, that there's really a decline going on. And uh, I think as we'll look at it, we'll also see parallels, although we, we don't really ascribe to just a decline narrative. We really feel like God's kingdom is at work. There are times where I think we've got to strip back where we are and find a new way. And so uh, this song, Throw It All Away, is a reminder that sometimes we need a new start. Take your cautionary tales Take your incremental gains And all the sycophantic games Throw it all away Burn the TV in your yard Gather around it with your friends Warm your hands upon the fire Start again Take the story you've been sold The lies that justify the pain The guilt that weighs upon your soul Throw them all away So if you're just getting this song that first verse again. We'll take your cautionary tales, take your incremental gains, and all the sycophantic games, throw it all away. Now burn the TV in your yard, gather around it with your friends.
confetti falling down like rain, like a parade to usher in your life. Take the dreams that should have died, the ones that kept you lying awake, when you should have been Tim, and welcome to Emmaus Way. Um, this is a community of God followers and folks who are struggling with that question that, that really uh, one of the things that we emphasize so significantly in our community life together is gathering together and gathering at a common table where we get to embody Christ's work of reconciliation and work of justice, but also the reality that we gather each week around the text and uh, and look at the scriptures and hear each other's voices. The dialogue that we do is critical because we understand that we can't alone understand fully, none of us can, what God is doing even just in and around us. And we need each other's voices to do that. So it's always excitement to be able to uh, not only be together each week, but to discern and listen and be an interpreting community together. So this is one of the things that we're passionate about. Um, we all say if this is a community that you're trying to get more involved with, there's lots of ways to do that. We have a, a bunch of home groups that meet during the week, as well as a pub group on Thursday night. So I think Dan is away this week, So I mean, or this right now. So if you're interested in pub group, you can grab me on that. But there's lots of places for you to fit in. And as well, there's lots of missional places. There's just partnerships that we value so much as a part of the work in this city. So we certainly want to help you not only be part of the interpreting voice here, but also part of the serving voice. And Wade, I was pretty pumped this week. I, I've been in Seattle all week, but I was pumped when I saw a Toad the Wet Sprocket, U2, uh, the 77s uh, come by this week. And by the way, we had a special IQ test. I don't know if anybody's passed it yet, but if you flip your worship sheet over... You'll notice that you find it again. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be really a quiz to see who really knows the lyrics to the 77s. Uh, actually, I think we're going to have the, the second page of that uh, back here in a few moments. <laughs> so, so fear not if you see the, the, the double-sided part of that. And again, we're just uh, ecstatic to uh, be together as a community. I've been away all week. I did get to see, for those of you who, who know uh, T and Kelsey pretty well, who just got married and moved out to Seattle, they're doing very well. Uh, 
T-Pat failed my Seattle test. I told him that when I got out there in two months, he was going to have some tattoos or I was going to have to affirm that he wasn't fitting into the local culture and uh, T, for some reason, has has failed. But he's promised to have nine or ten by my Good. my next That's visit important. out there. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're pushing the right things around here for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, again, we're delighted to have you with us this evening, and uh, we'll uh, let Wade continue. Yeah, thanks for the uh, tattoo um, announcement. That's very important, I think. Um, you know, it's good. I think it's it, it's cool when you, you you know you see the guys from the World War II where their tattoos are just sort of a I don't know what they are anymore. They're just a you know yeah they become they become a little bit less sharp. Let's say. So um, our um, couple songs we're going to do tonight uh, to introduce our themes. Um, one is um, this song in God's country, which is a YouTube song kind of looking at the American idolatry that we all live as a part of. And sometimes I think it's so much of the air that we breathe and the water that we swim in that we don't even see it. And then um, we're going to do a song uh, that a lot of people have done as a triumphant song. They'll know we are Christians by our love. But we'll actually do it, I think, in a more appropriate way than... It's really a lament talking about the fact that unity is actually very difficult to achieve. And um, we'll see in the passage tonight that the Israelites are certainly not unified.
side by side We will work with each other We will work side by side We'll guard each one's dignity Save each one's pride And they'll know we are Christians By our love, by our love And they'll know we Christians by our love our hero for the evening. Do you have like page twos for us? Uh, just watch these. These will be coming around. So thank you, Sarah Kate, for uh, making the Kinko's or FedEx office run for us tonight. Uh, we appreciate that a bunch. Hey, I thought of one thing. I'm just getting back in town. My brain is just turning on that. I wanted to remind folks of that two weeks from now, um, October 31st, is a doubly special worship gathering night for us. Actually, triply special, I think, in, in several ways. One is that we're going to be ordaining uh, Dan Rhodes. Dan's been a pastor here for almost from the very beginning. I met Dan probably three to four months in the life of Emmaus Way. Um, he had finished his MDiv at Duke and was working in the writing center there and just we realized that this was uh, going to be a great partnership. And so he served as a pastor in this community for five years or so, but we're going to ordain him. We're really excited about doing that. And we'll talk more on that evening about what ordination means to a very kind of low church casual community like us. And the most, it means a community of people affirming someone's <laughs> gifts of ministry and uh, kind of propelling them with affirmation and, uh, and excitement for the role that they play in the body of Christ. So that's going to happen. And Dan will probably have a bunch of family members here and we'll give him a chance to 
to speak and do some things as a part of that. Also, our liturgical season started by, by Wade, and I think Denise, you guys kind of asked us to do this five years ago, is that even before Advent for us, we have done an All Saints Day as a part of our worship gathering. Now, we're going to push it forward to Halloween, but it's going to be All Saints Day for us since it just misses for a day. And traditionally, what we've done is done an extra gathering when it doesn't fall just you know a day or two from Sunday. And I want to remind you of what we do on that. It's it's an evening of storytelling for us. Is that what we do? Is we give you the opportunity to uh, share stories about people who have influenced your faith, who have challenged your faith, or guided you in some way. We encourage people if that means bringing in a picture of somebody that means a whole lot to you, uh, telling a story or a book or anything that you, uh, we probably could even show a, 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 a video clip or something like that. But it, please come prepared. You're going to be the, the conversation that evening in terms of telling the stories of people that have helped either shape or maybe challenged your faith in lots of ways. And we found this to be a critical part of our community life together because short of Jenny... I'm not sure that anyone comes from Durham as a part of our, our community. So we're all from somewhere else. And, and we're all often, for many of us, we're here for three years to six years getting a degree. Some people are here are long-termers like us. But it's, it's really powerful to hear stories of, of your life and where you've come from. So this has been a really special night. So that's number two. And then number three is just a, a celebration for Dan. We're going to do a Eucharist meal that night. So the Eucharist will be a full kind of potluck meal. So we just encourage you to bring food. Uh, Jenny, is there any specifications on that? that Yeah, we try to coordinate the main dishes and make sure there's vegetarian options and non-vegetarian options. But for you, just bring a side dish if you're not part of that or come. Don't, one of the things that we found with our potlucks have, that have been that, you know, we want you to, some people can bring a bunch of food, some people can't. But we want you to kind of enjoy that evening as well. So potluck, All Saints, and and Dan's ordination in two weeks on the 31st. And dress up for Dan's ordination. Oh, yeah. What's the appropriate attire for Dan's well, ordination? Well, it's Halloween, so I'm saying, you know. Yeah, some yeah, goblins. Bring it. Or, you know, kind of those scream masks yeah. or something like that. Or so, full bush, bishop attire. I mean, oh, you know, actually, that's right. Like a hat. If you're a man. Duke seminarian yeah. and you don't have, like, major, AJ, I mean, you have, like, major headgear. I mean, something that's, like, that the people behind you have to move you aside to yeah. see the center. So. Okay, that's John's role. Well, hey, uh, before we begin the dialogue night, give you a chance to just stand up, offer the peace of Christ to people who are around you. If you're around somebody that you don't know, introduce yourself, and I'll give us a shout in about 90 seconds to regather. So you tonight get to take part in a little bit of uh, seminarian pastoral hazing. In that, uh, the uh, you know uh, John Schatz, who's been just a great friend of this community. John kind of he came in. Uh I think maybe your first or second week at Duke and you're a third year now and has been just an incredible part of this community. We love John. Uh, we love him so much that we want, not only wanted them to do the dialogue, but we wanted to pick the most heinous, difficult text that we could think of. And so we threw him right into Judges 17 and 18. Uh, actually, we, John had the option of doing something 
else, but, uh, but, but really wanted to stay in the flow of, of where the community is and judges. So, John, we're pumped to have you uh, lead the dialogue tonight. Well, thanks, Tim. I, I was actually telling Wade before uh, the service started that he was like, this is a crazy passage. And I was like, I know. Tim gave me the option, and I was like, no, I'll just keep doing judges. But then I looked at the passage, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so, um, but I think this is going to be really good. Last week, we talked about um, Samson, and we kind of ended with Samson uh, dying. And then now we have these five chapters left in Judges. And these five chapters are actually more like an epilogue. And so tonight we're going to do the first two chapters of that. Um, And there's this refrain that goes through um, these last five chapters. And the refrain is, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. And so I'm going to kind of retell the story, do kind of like a small synopsis, I guess you could say. But I'm going to insert that refrain Um, after every kind of major part of the story. So this is the story. This is Judges 17, 18. So there's this man, right? And his name is Micah. And he, his mom is looking for 1100 shekels. And all of a sudden he says, Hey mom, I found your 1100 shekels. Sorry, I took it. And she goes, well, the Lord bless you, my son. So I'm going to make you an idol. And so she takes all this money And she gets a silver idol made out of it. And so he installs the idols and then he decides to make his son priest. So his son becomes his father in a sense. So in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Now there's this young Levite priest who is leaving the clan of Judah and he's looking for another place to stay. And he runs into Micah. And so Micah's like... Um, So what are you doing, priest? And he says, well, I'm actually trying to find a new place to stay. And he says, well, why don't you come stay with me? I can give you clothes. I can give you food. I think the Hebrew says, like, I can give you some new Air Jordans, something like that. And so he's like, okay, sure. The priest agrees, and he says, okay, I'm going to come stay with you. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. So also in those days, there's this tribe called the Danites, And they decide that they want to take an inheritance, which is interesting because Joshua doesn't actually tell the Danites that they can take an inheritance yet. And so they say, we're going to go kind of explore the land. So they take these five spies and they go and explore. And as they're exploring, they actually run into the priest and they say, hey, does the Lord bless us on this mission? And this this is Micah's priest now. And he says, yes, the Lord uh, will bless you on this mission. You have the Lord's approval. So in these days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. So they move farther into the hill country and see a very peaceful, secure and prosperous people in Laish. And so they get here and they see this peaceful people and they decide, okay, I think we're going to attack these people and take their land. And so they go back and they go back to their tribe and they say, okay, so let's attack them. So they take 600 people and they go back. And they, they actually get near Micah's house and they decide that they want to take these idols that Micah has. So in these days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. So they go in there and start stealing all the household gods. And they, they actually run into Micah's priest and the priest is like, what are you doing? And they were like, no, 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 shh, be quiet. You can actually come with us. Why don't you be our priest? And if you're our priest, you can actually be a priest of a whole clan instead of just one person. So the priest 
decides and says, okay, that actually sounds good to me. So the Danites, um, the Danites start to head out and they start to go to Laish in the, over the hill country. And while they're going, the, Micah's neighbors come out and decide that they want to try to overtake the Danites. So there's 600 men, and this is kind of his neighbors. And then Micah comes out because they know, he sees that they saw his idols. And Micah says, this is really important, you took everything. So he took his idols, and he says, you took everything. So in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. So the Danites continue on into Laish, and they get there, and they destroy the city of this secure, prosperous people that are there. They destroy the city, and then they actually rebuild the city. And, um, and then they continue to use idols that Micah had made. All the time, the house of God was actually in Shiloh. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. So my first question is really, what do you see in this story that's really upside down? Because this is a totally upside down story. So I just want to know, just kind of name some of the things that are going on here that are just totally wrong. Bless you for stealing my silver, my son. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's actually, he's trying to get away from a curse there too. And so, um, so that's kind of his reaction is like, Oh, I took them here. They are They're you know, they're for you. So he's trying to get away from a curse there. So it's just totally, yeah, totally wrong. A random son being made a priest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so, so this part too, it's the son becomes a priest. It's really, it flips it too on its head because the son becomes his father, um, which it shouldn't be in that way. And also, you have, um, you have Micah deciding who's, who the priest is, right? So he's kind of saying who, who got, who's God's um, priests are. He's deciding. So, yeah, good point. The decision to capture peaceful people? Exactly, yeah, yeah. That's upside down. No, it is, yeah, yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah, so there's this peaceful, secure, prosperous people, and they go attack them and burn down their city. And also, like I said earlier, the um, Joshua, if you can remember Joshua, he doesn't actually tell the Danites that that is okay for them to do. Like when he allots certain land to different tribes, he doesn't tell them that that's their land that they're going to go take. And so, and they just go ahead and go do it. So, yep, good. The idol thing, yeah. (laughs) Yep. Definitely. Yeah, they're kind of deciding, right? They're kind of deciding these are, this is where God is um, in this place. Um, And that's especially true when you see Micah say, you took everything. They took the idols, and so they took everything. Did they really take everything? You know, I think that's probably the question we need to ask. So, yeah, those are all good. So, So, like I said, this is this story is crazy it's just in a downward spiral and like i was talking about the refrain the refrain actually doesn't end until you get to the end of judges so we're just like kind of going downhill from here um and we have judges disappear names of leaders disappear divine deliverance disappears um we see like this really big emphasis on a lack of king in the refrain and um, a lack of um, a lack of unity within the tribe, violence escalates. The tribe finds a new territory, um, which, like I said, which Joshua didn't allow. 
And so, so this story, it's really absurd. And so that's one of the things we really need to keep in mind when reading some of these judges passages that we've talked about. Like they're really appalling and they're really absurd. But, but the question is, why are they so appalling? Why are so that they so absurd? So what this, was this story about? Well, as we've kind of seen already, it's a failure to recognize God as king and an ongoing grace to such people. So here sin succeeds and it's just an upside down value system. So, and Tim made a really good point in text group this week where he was talking about Joshua. And this is kind of like a parody of Joshua almost in Joshua three and four. If you remember when the Israelites cross over the Jordan, this is just, it, everything's on its head. You have in Joshua, you have a people who are listening to God. They, they had, they build memorials for God. They get through, they do exactly what God says. They listen to Joshua and it's very, very God-centered, obviously. Now, this is just, it's totally different. And if you can think about um, the, um, the milk and honey. So there's this, there's this political poet named Gil Scott Heron. And he kind of makes this line in this his poem that says, something to effect of, if we keep living in this upside-down world, milk and honey turns into blood and tears. And that's exactly what's happening here um, in this passage. So, so what we're seeing here is, is a lot of idolatry and mis, mistaken steps in what worship is. Um, so the questions really are like how they worship, who are they worshiping, when do they worship? Because at, in this point, you don't see really religion being like a, a weekly exercise. They're, they're deciding like where God is. They're deciding when worship is, who they're worshiping. They're kind of deciding this. So in effect, they're really shaping who God is instead of letting God shape them. So I guess what the next question I kind of wanted to ask for this community, because I think this is, it's got to be an important text for us as Christians. And so I would like to ask what like what do we worship and, and a lot of times here we try to say um we we're a community where we want to worship the entire week um and i think that's really important i think it's really important to this verse too is this is what this is kind of saying is worship is everything we do everything we live so what do you think we worship and like what are our idols like especially as the church like what are our idols One is certainly certainty in the sense that we, I think part of, part of being a Christian community at times is, or the, the larger Christian community is that we really want to know what God is doing all the time so that we can fit ourselves into it, whether we're trying to justify ourselves or whatever. And so I, I think certainty is a big one. Yeah, yeah, good point. I, I know sometimes, I think maybe this goes along with that, but we always want to be doing something so that we're certain, you know? And I have a friend who says, actually, sometimes it's better. He'll say, don't just do something, stand there, you know? So we listen and then we, we acknowledge that, you know, we're not always certain what God's up to. So, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Uh, but I think it's something of a reaction to it, but you know, the church and lots of us have been in church life is worship success, right? But the Levites like, oh, sure, uh, why should I hang out with this household? I'll join this bigger thing, you know. So let's believe in a supernatural God, but what do we really believe in? Numbers, which you can count, 
many new concurrent size buildings you can see. So it's kind of a it's a success coupled with a sort of basically a, a secular epistemology here. We claim to worship this invisible God and really look for you know things we can count. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's almost as if we're kind of competing for idols amongst other people, other churches, you know, like within the church, there, there's so many fractures sometimes that we're competing for idols, <laughs> which is um, tough to swallow. So. Right along with that is we, we use the world's measures of success. And so more people, more programs, more money, big, big, big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yep, our ideas of success. Definitely idols. Maybe like education. I mean I do, at least to a flaw at certain points. So I think that's an issue for me at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking intellectually about things. Yeah. Um, an idol, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there could be this church to like go to work that'd be fun to find, but you know, people busy with homework, that's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're in divinity school. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Okay, those are good. I guess where I want to move to now is how do we? I talked about how the Joshua story is is kind of like the the anti-type to this story. It's it's almost like the opposite. And so, how do we? be a community of people or how do we be a church um how to be a larger church how do we be a church that goes back to this joshua story how do we how do we put god back to center instead of all the idols and how do we get back to in this worship this worship of every day of the week and it's and like what's the contrast i guess to this story that's what i'm saying what's the contrast to this story I mean, I liked what your friend said about stopping doing things and just listening, because I think even it's really easy to kind of live in this frenetic pace every single day, and it's really a fight to stop. You know, even five minutes can sometimes seem like asking the world, you know, like, I don't even have five minutes to stop and just listen to God, but actually doing something that is stopping, and I mean, I can't say that I do that particularly well, but even like, if I'm like, okay, I'm driving, at least, you know, I'm doing something at the same time and I can, you know, put in this recording that's supposed to be like just eight minutes of like reflecting on the day and where was God present. And at least, you know, it's something in the midst of the craziness to stop and think back over and say, oh, yeah, I guess this was happening and I missed this opportunity and God showed up there. And so I'd say observation. Yeah. Yeah, we just can't stop, can we? And sometimes we just need to stop. Good, yeah. I always think a lot about the idea, Sarah's mission, that of not only the liturgical calendar comes as a, a challenge to us at times, I mean, even like when we get to Advent in this community, Advent's always been very significant in terms of the decor, the vision of the room, and it comes at a time where it's competing with a million other things. And, and for me, like sometimes in private, just my life of trying to, to pray rhythmically to the day uh, and that practice of of you know praying the old hours is for me sometimes I do it so poorly but it's a reminder that there's an alternative calendar going on and it was just in Seattle this week at the school that I, I serve on as a volunteer and they chimed the bells at nine noon three and six 
So a gong basically comes over the intercom, and it's just this, you know, everybody just pauses, even if it's 10 seconds in the middle of a lecture or a meeting or just casually talking. And, it, it, and even just the intrusion of that reminds you that there's this other clock going on. And I know for me, I struggle. I, I get so caught in my clock that anything that didn't help me remember there's another clock going on is, is useful. I also think if you said to like I'd say the Danites, what are you guys doing? And, you know, we're you know we want to Greece. We're we're trying to do the kind of right thing, and it almost seems to me to be pretty tricky if you're there to kind of figure out. Okay, well, where did we go wrong? Like, well, but we are trying to follow. It. So it, it seems to me that there are a lot of other passages in Scripture where you know Balaam or wherever that something. Kind of contradictory happens, weird happens, paradox happens, and it's that kind of paradox, it's a psychological moment of like, oh wait, 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 we've, we've been doing it wrong. That's almost what you kind of go to wait on, is that moment of paradox of like, insight. Yeah, good. I, I guess that's, that's kind of where I wanted to head tonight. Um, this is an upside down story and it exposes a lot of our idols. And I think sometimes, I mean, I've said this before. I think sometimes we all say this, that Jesus kind of flips things on its head. But I actually think that maybe after reading this, I think I might be wrong about that. I think Jesus flips it back to where it was supposed to be and then kind of like seals it there. And, and so I think when we read this story, we get a glimpse into... Um, this upside down world that we live in, but we also have the opportunity to live into this different story too. And so I kind of wanted to end with a story from this week that was really um, important to me, I guess. And so I would like to share it with y'all. I work at a juvenile detention center here in Durham and what's well, in Butner, but it's for this kind of area. And I had a chance to go to this GED graduation and one of my guys I've been working with for about a year and a half was graduating, getting his GED. And he sang this song and he sang uh, With Arms Wide Open by Creed, but he actually changed the words to It's Time to Move On. And we were all actually really worried about it because we didn't know if he could sing or not. And it's like, you know, everybody's there. And, and these kids, I mean, they were probably just going to humiliate him if he can't sing, you know. And so we were really worried about it. But he got up there and it was really good. And his, and I didn't notice this until the end, but his grandparents were there and his grandparents live in Florida and his grandma actually is very ill and she's probably going to pass away within maybe like the next three weeks. And she was, she was there with her husband and they had driven up from Florida because they were doing treatment at Duke. So they had the opportunity to kind of come by. And, and see him get his GED, which is really cool. And at the end, after everybody was kind of chowing down, eating food, and the, the grandma, she asked him to sing it again. And she went up to the front and got to sit in the front and she got to watch her grandson who um, has had a really tough time and has tried to commit suicide in the past six months and who had the biggest smile on his face because he got his GED. 
And so she got to sit there and hear him sing the song um, again. And I could see kind of her eyes kind of welling up. And I think that's kind of like the the paradox that we kind of live in, I guess you could say, especially with this story and this upside down. And, and I mean, just to think about that place and just the the things that go on there and this woman's life and what she's saying as she's there. And she has this hope that that cries. And I thought that was really, really powerful to me, um, this hope that cries. And so, so I think for us to live into something more beautiful, to follow a man who says, follow me and things might be different, but I think things will be in the end better. And it's this hope that cries that I think we all can strive to live in. So we can always say, can you sing that song one more time, one more time. Thanks, John. Thanks for taking that on. Um, we're going to move to confession and absolution as we head towards the table. And um, I just wanted to give you guys a minute to think about some of the, the conversation tonight. And um, I remember when I first was talking with Tim about Emmaus Way before I began doing music with you all. And um, Tim said, outside of time people not having time for the kingdom in their lives, that uh, the other thing about caring for people the way you're describing, um, about caring about stories that are different than ours outside of the success story or the power story or whatever, is that um, it's, it's inconvenient. There's a certain amount of being inconvenienced that I think is related to the kingdom. And that's not culturally what we're taught. We're taught like... If it's good, good stuff, if it's a good program, if it's good whatever, it'll be sharp and it'll be moving and it'll be productive and you'll be able to see straight lines and clear goals and objectives. And when the kingdom um, comes along and grows organically, it grows different ways. And so um, just wanted to give you a minute to think as we're moving into, like I said, confession and then absolution. And I'll give you... A, couple minutes to think or pray or just uh, ponder this and then we'll move into that. Something 
something more that I don't need And Lord, please don't ask me what for The lust, the fleshy eyes The pride of life Drain the life right out of me Kate's been interviewing folks about Emmaus Way and talking about um, uh, different ways to describe what's going on in our community. And uh, I know at some point we'll hear more of her uh, synopsis. Um, and uh, some of the stories are really uh, inspiring. And um, we were talking uh, last week when we were going on the, the walk for Antioch, and, and she mentioned that one of the things that somebody had said was that there are ways that Emmaus Way reminded them of an AA meeting. In other words, there was a sense not that we had overcome everything, but that in the confession of where we are, the, the fact that we're not perfect, that we don't have it together, that in that confession, that there was hope and hope as we were on a healing path together. And um, so I think that's going on a lot in this song, The Pearl. So hear this as your absolution. Oh, the dragons are gonna fly tonight Circling low and inside Another round in a losing fight Out along the great divide tonight We are aging soldiers in an ancient war Seeking out some half-remembered shore Drink our fill till we thirst. 
Asking if there's no heaven, what's this hunger for?
John, thank you, buddy. It's a good story to jump in on. You know, one of the things I was thinking tonight, and, and you said this really well about how does Christ function as, um, as relief, as gift, as transformation in the world that we live in. And, and, and in some ways, you could say, flips, flips the story upside down, but as you point out, kind of sets it right. And I was thinking, how many times, I mean, think about this. How many times have you been in a setting where crazy became absolutely normal? I mean, to the point of where I think professionally, I think Mimi and I would say this, and probably a lot of us, we've been in times when working a 15-hour day was just normal. I mean, I, I think back in, I remember um, when, when we first got married, and I was a seminarian and a full-time youth pastor, and we were kind of doing some planning, and I sat down and said, all right, well, let's, let's look at our evenings, because that, that would be kind of our typical, or weekends, our time together, and I started, ex- I said, well, you know, actually, I'm out the next 16 nights, um, but this 17th night looks really good, except there's this really neat opportunity to go hear this person speak on something. And I'm kind of looking at it as a straight face, like surely, surely that's the best way to use that 17th night. And it really, it was just absolutely crazy. I mean, that the idea that, that, you know, sleep was optional, that you worked all day long. And I was in this big corporate church, I mean, a true mega church in the Boston area where you had, there was a dress code. You had to dress like what you were doing and, and 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 even the movements around the building were always bustled and hurried i mean you know, it, you didn't lollygag from the office to the copier i mean you moved with purpose you know you're you're moving to the copier and you see kevin kind of he's coming out of his office and he's moving to the copier it's almost a little bit of a race to kind of walk faster and get your thing in earlier because you're doing important stuff and at some point wouldn't it have been hilarious if somebody would had spoofed that and just said this is absolutely Crazy, absolutely crazy. And, and we find ourselves, I, I don't know if you find yourself in this situation, but parenting does this to us all the time. And it's crazy that sometimes our kids have to turn around and say, you're being crazy. You know, like, well, God, let's see if we could, we could like bump your class rank by three if two kids moved and we knocked off the third. You know, you know, like, Dad, that's crazy. We, it just doesn't matter that much. Um, but all of us find ourselves, whether it's our work lives, our relational lives, where crazy just becomes normal, so to speak. We got a little glimpse of that um, just, you know, two weeks ago when the list came out in, in, uh, in terms of, of Duke and uh, was that, that the student's kind of, uh, kind of hit list of her uh, horizontal life of sleeping with 14 athletes at, at Duke. And, and, um, and, and, you know, I have to admit it, I saw this and as I kind of heard about this, I was one of the first that was over at Jezebel.com, you know, reading the, reading the report and, and at one point, I'm, I'm reading through, and I'm going between like number eight and number nine. And we get to number nine, and 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 the writer says, "And this was an incredibly unique sexual experience for me." And and I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh! Based on the first eight, this must involve a trapeze or a cannon or you know some sort of bizarre explosion." And and then the, the and then the catchphrase was. Because I was sober. <laughs> and I thought I was going to try sex sober. And, and without making like this big statement, I was like, okay, this is one of those little glimpses where just crazy got normal. I mean, just the life that was normal was truly, truly crazy. And I think about with Jesus, 
one of the things that Jesus did is he came in, and if, if this was like maybe the most dramatic and deadly act for him is that he took the common table, which had gotten to be in some ways crazy. There were all these demarcations in the Roman society. You only ate in your social class. And, and the Jewish community adopted that. And they only ate not only within social class, but ate within their clan. And, and, and to kind of say, hey, would you guys like to come over for dinner and eat and share this table? or the way Jesus used to do it is he didn't really do a lot of cooking. He'd say, Wade, you're cooking, and I've invited everybody else over. And, and these crazy meals would ensue that in some ways everybody treated as murderous. I mean, you're forcing us to eat with slaves. You're forcing us to eat with people who we don't have the same ethnicity with. You're forcing us to eat out of our social class. I'm not from Phil's family. They might do weird stuff at dinner. I mean, all of these awkwardnesses came together at the table, and this was the norm for Jesus. And then at the very end of his life, that moment for a last lecture, for, for him to make the final point, the one that would change the world, and he basically said, you know, eat and drink the way I ate and drink which apparently was a lot and was with really diverse people. And the early church got so focused on this that the one thing that they understood was a part of their worship was not only the common table, but protecting the common table that was about to get really complicated as the the gospel, the community spread far beyond Jerusalem. So I remind us as I'm inviting you to the table tonight that in some ways, um, and and it's funny, I've heard this described in the early days of Emmaus Way, the, the table that we celebrate. I remember one student coming in and saying, that's just crazy. I mean, everybody got up and they started like breaking bread for each other and pouring wine and juice for each other. And they were talking and it was loud. And, that's, and, and in some ways I kept thinking, yeah, but that's somewhat normal to the way the table was celebrated in Jesus' day. And so what I invite you to is for, for many of us, maybe our most dramatic act of normalcy tonight, of, of taking a piece of bread and breaking it and saying that this is the body of Christ broken or taking wine or juice and pouring it and saying this is the blood of Christ that was shed and doing it at a table where we literally step this. You might pour wine or juice for somebody that you don't know very well. You might pour it for somebody that you don't like very well. You may pour it with somebody that you don't care for or understand very well, but that seems to be incredibly normal. So for us each week, the table is a chance when our lives are are set right, where there's nowhere to go. There's nothing that needs to be done right in that moment. And we can truly embrace each other and realize that the embrace at the table is as countercultural as everything else. I can't tell you the number of times I move past someone really fast. I'm walking back home and I see a neighbor who likes to talk with his or her dog and I accelerate to get to my car so that I don't have to have a conversation with that neighbor that might last a heinous amount of time, like seven minutes. And so uh, at the table, tonight, embrace each other, greet each other, remember uh, the life that we share together and the life that another person brings to the table that you may not know, but understand as that we're eating and drinking together, we're eating and drinking with an act of the normalcy of Christ having set right the lives that we live together. So go and enjoy the table together tonight. 
Hey everybody, wanted to ask tonight, as we do the benediction tonight, to do this um, fairly physically this evening. So if you would, if you're back in this kind of, this side of the room, if we could kind of gather and gather closely around, uh, around Wade. And if you would, grab your lyrics if you, if you don't have them with you. And I thought for just as an act of kind of, um, of speaking and singing together, we don't do this very often, but that we would, we would sing standing tonight. So if you would, um, grab your lyrics. Um, if, you're, if you can, kind of tighten up around the room here. Um, uh, stand and uh, wait, what's our final? Um, Ride the wind to me. It's a Julie Miller song, which is familiar to all of us. So if you would just gather in, grab the lyrics. And um, and I think we've, due to the expertise of Sarah Kate, have the second page tonight. So anyway, let's sing this together. This is truly a benediction, a good song, a good word for us. Chains that held you down, being peace. 
everybody. May the freedom of the gospel be your normalcy this week and may you drink from it deeply. Go in peace. Amen.